We are still considering the lessons of faith that are found for us in the events that are recorded in chapter 39 of the book of Genesis. And so let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. We won't read the passage again. We we read verse by verse, and we considered it for the last two weeks, actually. But there's just so many lessons here in the life of Joseph and in, the, in this particular chapter 39 of Genesis, where several things have taken place. And we want to consider this evening how Joseph was able to overcome the temptation to sin when Potiphar's wife kept pestering him to sleep with her and to look at his response to that that daily temptation. This wasn't just a one-time thing. It was day after day after day he was faced with this very real temptation. And to me, there's some real practical lessons here because we all face temptations of different degrees on a, almost a daily basis, uh, maybe not as extreme as what we see here, but our flesh is always wanting to present itself and to cause us to respond according to those deceitful lusts that are a part of our fallen nature. When you look at Joseph's situation, remember he was a servant. He had been sold as a, a slave to Potiphar. And in that situation, he, he made the best of the that situation and became the best possible slave that he could be, became an administrator of Potiphar's house to the point that, that Potiphar trusted him with everything when it had to do with the administration of his finances and his household. And yet from Joseph's standpoint, Joseph could have justified himself, as so many times God's people do, for this act of immorality. I mean, he had been treated unjustly, and and who's going to know anyway? I mean, it's just me and her in the house. And there could have been a lot of excuses and reasons and justification that Joseph could have made, but he didn't. He didn't say, I'm entitled. So many of God's people, when they fall into sin, they they, they often take that attitude. It, well, you know, I, I've had so many bad things happen to me. Why? Why? I think it's even God's will that I have this this fun. But anything that's contrary to the will of God, there, there's no justification for the child of God for those living in the fear of the Lord. He didn't indulge himself, and he gives three reasons in the passage. If you'll kind of glance over the the account there. He gives three reasons why he would not give in to the temptation to to have this affair with with his master's wife. The first thing he says that she was another man's wife, and on top of that, that man was his master. And so there was just the, the human aspects of understanding the damage that would take place in those human relationships. He didn't want to hurt. He didn't want to rob and take something that wasn't his. And plus, he wanted to continue to honor his master. He was a slave, and yet, because he wanted to honor his God, he wanted to honor his human master as well. So that was the first reason. Then the second reason he gives is that his his master trusted him with everything. 
and he didn't want to violate that trust. In other words, Joseph's integrity mattered to him. Didn't didn't matter what advantage he could gain or what what moment of pleasure he could gain. He considered it to be an act of being untrustworthy, and he just wasn't going to allow that. And then, of course, the last reason, which is kind of the foundation for all the other reasons, and that is he didn't want to sin against his God by committing this physical sin of immorality. And yet he understood it to be a sin against his God, against his righteousness, against his standard. And even if nobody else ever knew about it, which, again, you can justify it and you can think that's going to happen and, you know, it's just me and her and nobody else needs to know about this. And, but he knew that God was always watching. And until we as Christians come to this place that we, our greatest desire is to please our Lord and Savior, to please our Father over and above everything else, until we come to that place, we'll never learn to live a godly life. Because you know that your Lord is always watching. And that's not something that should cause you to be paranoid. It should cause you to understand that I live in his presence. I can please him in this thing. It, should, it shouldn't be a fearful thing to know that the Lord is always watching. But it should be an understanding that we have an opportunity to, to please the living God. And so Joseph gave these three reasons These were his motives. This was his understanding, and therefore he was able to overcome this very real and powerful temptation. Let's go to Proverbs 23, just to to look at the practical aspects, because so many of God's people do fall into this pit of immorality. It's a real temptation today for many of God's people. Now, Joseph had already been thrown in a very literal pit, and he, he had no choice about that. That wasn't his choice. But he understood that this was a pit that he could avoid. Again, another lesson for us in our walk of faith. There are some things that we have to go through, suffering that we have to go through in the will of God that we have no choice about. If God orders our steps and he orders a trial. He orders, orders uh, something in our life that's difficult. There's nothing we can do about it. But like Joseph, we just have to trust the Lord that we know he knows what he's doing. But there are other pits. There's other suffering that we as God's people can avoid. We can avoid the scars of sin, the suffering that comes from making choices that are contrary to the will of God. And this is what we read in Proverbs 23 and verses 27 and 28. For a harlot is a deep pit. And a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. So that temptation is still real today. It's real for God's people. But just like Joseph, we can overcome that temptation and any other form of temptation to sin that Satan may put in our, in our way. But we have to have these, the, the same understanding that Joseph had. I want to please the Lord. Whether anybody else knows about it or not, it doesn't matter. I always want to do what's right in his sight because I know he's watching. And I have the privilege to walk with him and to bring him pleasure and to bring him joy. The opportunities for Joseph to sin were were plentiful. But his love for God 
caused him to always choose that which was pleasing to the Lord. He didn't covet what didn't belong to him. He, and again, when I, when I make this statement that Joseph was content with what God provided for him, and consider that statement, what did God provide for him? Slavery. <laughs> he was in a, another man's house. Yes, he was being very successful in, in the business affairs of that man, but it, but it all belonged to Potiphar. Joseph had a place to live. He had a place to eat. And he was content with that. We don't see him resisting or rebelling against Potiphar. Quite the opposite. He was content. And that contentment kept him from coveting what was not his. Potiphar's wife wasn't his. And because he was content, that's not mine. I'm happy. I'm content. I'm satisfied with what God has for me at this time. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have something else. Joseph knew God had something else for him. But at that moment and at that time, he was content with what he had at the time. Discontentment leads to a lot of sins in our life. This this is why we have to guard our heart. What is it that we find peace and joy and security in? Is it in what we have or what we want? Or is it in the fact that the Lord said, I will never leave you nor forsake you? When we become discontent, and it can be in so many areas, not just this area of of sexual immorality, but when we begin to covet something that is not in the Lord's will for us, at least at this moment, again, doesn't mean that down the road he doesn't have that very thing that we think we want now. He may provide that later. But too many times when we're discontent is, I, I can't be happy. I can't have peace and joy if I don't have this thing or this person or this relationship right now. And so it doesn't matter whether it's a person or a thing. When we covet something that's outside of the will of God, when we're discontent with what God has for us right now, it's going to lead to some kind of sin. So this is why, we, first and foremost, we just need to stop and thank the Lord for what we have. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us, be thankful for all things and in all things. Because thankfulness is the the opposite of discontentment. Lord, thank you. Even for the trial. You don't have to thank him for the suffering. You don't have to thank him for the hurt. But Lord, thank you for what you are doing, faithfully doing, in and through this present trial. Be content with what God has provided when we begin to murmur and complain about our circumstances or situations or what we don't have or what we, we think that we deserve, we're, we're going to fall. Joseph's attitude here, again, it's challenging. A young man, day after day, with this temptation, and yet he overcame. And it even finally came to a place where he just had to run another lesson. I think the temptation was real for Joseph, but he didn't give in to it because he was content with what God had provided. First Timothy 6. These biblical principles, they're, they're not just cold theory. These truths will keep you from falling into the pit of sin, whatever form it takes, whatever form of temptation it, it, that comes your way. These principles of faith will keep you from falling into the pit of sin. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
interesting because when you covet something, you think, well, I'll gain something if I, if I just had that. But covetousness doesn't result in gain. Oh, it may result in temporary or material gain or physical pleasure, or, but it's not lasting gain. But godliness, doing what is right in God's sight with contentment, that's great gain because it has eternal dividends. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and, in, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Do you see how practical Paul's teaching is? How practical Joseph's faith was in this area? Paul here emphasizes the temptation for material wealth. But again, it's that being discontent with what you have. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. This is our joy. This is our peace. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's our joy. Whatever we go through, whatever we have, we always have the Lord at our side. The creator of heaven and earth, the one who created everything from nothing, he's the one who's with us. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Contentment with the will of God will cause you to overcome temptation every time. No matter what the temptation is or how strong it is or how consistent it is, be content with what you have. Now again, don't, don't misunderstand what that means. It doesn't mean that you won't have things added to you or that you can even express to the Lord your desires for something. But your joy and your happiness is not in possessing those things or that person or that relationship. Today, you rejoice in the Lord, not in what you have or what you don't have. You rejoice in him and his faithfulness, knowing he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Personal integrity was was something that was of great value to Joseph. My masters trust me why, with everything except for you because you're his wife. And so I don't want to betray that trust. It mattered to Joseph what God thought. Hebrews 11 and verses 24 to 26. Moses had this same understanding. Joseph could have had a moment of pleasure, but it would have led to such ongoing pain suffering and loss. Moses, Moses had everything. He probably would have succeeded Pharaoh to the throne at some point. He had the education of the the wisest culture in that day, science. The highest education possible in the world at that time was in Egypt. He had all that education. But it says in Hebrews eleven twenty four by faith... Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which was a place of privilege, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Notice the Bible does not deny there is pleasure in sin. 
many times, not always, but many times there is pleasure in sin, but it's quickly passing and the scars are ongoing. But why did Moses make the choice he made? The same reason Joseph did. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Can you live your life that way? Eternal life. May that always be what brings us joy and contentment and peace. When, when we begin to be overwhelmed with our situation, and it, sometimes it's not a relationship or things, it's, it's just life. You just wish things were different. Your situation was different. Begin to just thank the Lord for what you have now, knowing that he'll provide what you need when you need it. I've seen God do this over and over in my own life when anxiety begins to overwhelm me about it wasn't that I was wanting a Lord, give me a Mercedes Benz or whatever it is. It's Lord, I'm looking at my bank account and I'm looking at the bills are coming. What am I going to do about that? And that anxiety, that temptation to doubt, to fear. And yet I've seen when I've learned to trust the Lord and say, Lord, I thank you. I don't know how you're going to solve this issue, but I know that you've called me to this walk. I know you will supply in your time and your way. When I would come to that place of faith and peace, before anything would change, there was just peace. And then I've seen the Lord faithfully fulfill his promise time and time again. We look forward to his faithfulness. Second Timothy 2.22. Here we see Paul encouraging Timothy metaphorically to flee. <laughs> Joseph did it literally. But here in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts. That's certainly what Joseph did, wasn't it? But, and, and this is always important, we, we don't just flee sin and temptation. You don't just run from temptation. Otherwise, you're always going to be running, and sooner or later you will fall. But instead of giving in to youthful lusts or simply the works of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, Pursue righteousness. Seek that which is right in God's sight. Search his word in every circumstance, in every relationship, in, in, in every situation where you have decisions to make and, and you don't know what to do. Seek righteousness. Search the scriptures for what is God's direction in this relationship, this marriage, this decision. Pursue faith. How do you pursue faith? Where does faith come from? You all know, hearing, hearing the word of God. So if you're going to pursue faith, you got to pursue hearing the word of God, reading it, listening to it, expounded, and then obey it. Pursue love, selflessness. That'll also give you the victory over discontentment because it's not about me. The more you understand that God is going to be faithful to take care of me, the less you have to worry about me. Pursue love, peace. The word peace has the thought of becoming one. Wrap yourself a one around the will of God. Become one with his will. And to do it with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This is why another purpose for our gathering together as a congregation is we need one another. We need to see God's faithfulness in your life, in your testimony, in your walk. That encourages us. So, well, there's victory in Jesus. We can live a godly life. And even when we fall short of that, 
The example of repentance and returning to what is right can be something that encourages those that have fallen in the pit of sin and and are often overwhelmed. Well, I can never be the kind of Christian God wants me to be. I'm glad Joseph didn't take that attitude. It came to the point where he literally had to run out of the house, but he did. Another lesson that we can learn, I'll close with this tonight, is technically Potiphar's wife was Joseph's master too. She could have just demanded him, but he disobeyed that order. And this is the one when we often talk about submission. Last week we talked about Joseph's, before he had learned to rule, he had to learn to submit to authority. This is the one area where we as Christians have been given the responsibility and the right to disobey authority, any authority other than God, of course. Acts 5.29, even if Potiphar himself had ordered Joseph to lie with his wife, he had no obligation to fulfill that order, no matter what the consequences were. And Next week, Lord willing, we'll look. Joseph did exactly what he was supposed to do, and the consequences was he was thrown in jail for it. And once again, what, what an example this young man is. If, if the first two episodes, being thrown in the pit by your brothers, sold by your brothers, and then sold as Potter, if that didn't discourage you enough, now you do the right thing because you love Jehovah, and now he throws you in prison. That, that, that might have broken me, but... We see once again that Joseph's faith was strong. But here in Acts 5.29, we have this responsibility. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The leaders, the Sanhedrin, had ordered Peter not to preach in Jesus' name again. (laughs) Well, Jesus said, Go and preach the gospel. And so Peter said, Well, I know there's consequences for me disobeying, disobeying your order. But whenever man's orders contradict the will of God and God's orders for us, we have the responsibility and the right to stand up and say, no, we'll obey what God has declared for us. And in this day and age in which we're living, those decisions are going to probably have to be made more and more and more, where there may come a time when the government tells us, You can't say that anymore. You can't do that anymore when it comes to worshiping and acknowledging Jehovah. And at that point, we have to make a decision. It is better for us to obey God rather than men. I think we'll close there this evening.